so glad that you joined us together this morning. And um, I want to share with you a quote as we continue our series of Laugh Again that is very meaningful to me. And I want you to hear this. It's from Philip Brooks. And it says this, the true way to be humble is not to stoop until you're smaller than yourself, but to stand at your real height against some higher nature that will show you the real smallness of what your greatness is. Isn't that a great statement? Okay, so what, what he's saying there is he's, today we're going to focus in on God's word and we're going to focus in on what it means for us to experience the secret of a happy life. And I'll, I'll give you the, the answer in the back of the book today, and that is practiced humility in our lives. It's being humble. Nobody wants to be humble. Um, and, and the how to be humble is not, according to this quote, and I think what we'll see in God's word, is it's not just, a, oh, I'm going to try to be humble, but it's actually allowing ourselves to stand up against something that's greater than what we are. That puts us in perspective. A couple of years ago, right after they drafted Miles Garrett, the Cleveland Browns, some of you know that name, uh, he's one of their defensive linemen, and he is a large human being. I can say that. I, I actually uh, bumped into him at Walmart, of all places, late at night, and um, I, I met him. He was very kind and talking to me, but I will just be honest with you. When I interacted with him, I felt like I was talking like this to him, right? Because he is six foot 42. Two, right? And he, his muscles, I can say this comfortably, have muscles that my muscles have never heard of. You understand what I mean? He is, he is a very large, um, gifted, physical, like, like his arms are big, like make tree trunks. You guys get the point, right? We get this, right? So, so he, in comparison to me, helped me to recognize what I'm not. And this morning, as we look at God's word, what we're going to get to see is we're going to get to see an example from the Lord Jesus Christ that ought to inspire us to think differently. It ought to inspire us, if you stick with me this morning, to understand a secret in our society. I think in our society, we are told often that you need to be someone who fights for, aspires for, pushes yourself to the top. Last week, we said that was even the Garden of Eden, the desire to make sure that we're not missing out on something that we deserve. And this morning, as we look at a number of verses in the book of Philippians chapter 2, this entire section, believe it or not, in Greek that we're going to study today is one verse in Greek. And this one sentence, I mean, in Greek is going to, uh, it's been called some of the loftiest prose in the entire New Testament. The words are heavy uh, they're dripping with meaning. Some believe it may have been an early song that would have been sung or shared or a poem that was shared in the church. But in this, in this context, I just want this truth to wash over you this morning because it's so powerful when we read this. And it really does unpack for us what it looks like to experience the secret of a truly happy life. If you have your Bibles, you can follow along with me. In Philippians chapter 2, we're going to pick up in verse 5. Remember last week, we talked about caring for other people's needs is more important than our own. Um, and then now we're going to see what that looks like and how to do that. It says this in verse 5. It says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God something to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, 
being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every other name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God and the Father. That is one sentence in Greek. Isn't that interesting? Uh, what an awesome statement though, right? You understand what he's articulating there is that, that Jesus models for us the kind of humility when he says, have the same mind. He's saying, think this way. I want you to be this way. And I want us to recognize something that is so profound here, and that is uh, Jesus is the perfect example for us to look, for, look to in this because he lived this out in such a way that it teaches us he's the prototype for the example of what true humility looks like. And when I read and reread this passage, it, rec it helps me to recognize that Christ was willing to humble himself. He descended into greatness. He descended to serve and to be a slave, literally is what the text says, in order for you and I to be exalted through the understanding and work of the cross. And I say amen to that. I'm excited about his model that he gives us. And I think that we're going to watch this day. I'm going to give you three points this morning that are going to flow directly from the text. And the first, these are all based on Jesus's model for us. The first is it's really important for us to know who we are. Uh, we're going to see examples in scripture that Satan really wants you to not know who you are. That, that knowing who you are comes with a set of promises and gifts that are essential for us as believers. Jesus modeled that for us. The second thing is probably the hardest for me is to submit to God's will. And what I mean by that is to just accept that God has a plan. It's going to say in the text that Jesus was willing to do what was asked of him. And then the third thing, thing that we want to see in the text this morning is that we need to be people who leave the results of our obedience and of those who surround us. Leave the results of that up to God. If you do that, know who you are, submit to God's will, and leave the results up to God. I believe that you will experience the kind of life that God desires each and every one of us to have. But it comes at a cost. I think that it's helpful for us as we talk about looking at Christ as the example for us of humility, that we would look at the one who was high above all, and yet he did not re regard anything as belief him saving us. He literally, theologically, we talk about the term condescending, and that is that he became a man and came to earth. And in that process, Christ took off his royal robes and he put on the servant's towel to die for you and I. How can we say that we call, are called to serve others or anything that he asks of us is too difficult or too significant? It's it's in that obedience that we get to understand what God wants to do with us. So I want to draw your attention. I want to unpack this a little bit more in verse 5 as we look at the first point this morning. Know who you are. And I'll just add to this. Jesus totally knew who he was. It says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Almost a gift to us that we can share this. Who though he was in the form of God... He did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, 
But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man. I think it's significant for us to understand that Jesus knows who he is. That Jesus understands that he's fully God. Scripture over and over again gives us examples of people worshiping him, of them recognizing his divinity. And Jesus um, was, in, when it says in the form of God, it's literally that he was the manifestation of God. That he was given divine names, he receives worship, that he experiences um, divinity in its fullest sense. But what's so helpful for us when we talk about emptying himself is that he did not exploit that fact for his own advantage, even when he was tempted to do so. So I want you to imagine with me for a second. So think about us talking about the the attributes of God, his omnipotence, his omniscience, these omni-terms that mean that he's all-powerful or that he's all-knowing, he's self-aware, he's all-aware of truth. Can you imagine for a minute that last night, uh, before the Guardians game, that you, um, you, you were uh, able to jump in the uh, time machine, go back in time, hear what the results of the game were going to be, and you actually had that information prior to the game. Uh, you guys are looking at me like you weren't watching the game last night. Uh, you know, so, so, so you know the results of what's going to happen. This is like the plot of every time travel movie ever, right? You, you have an outcome that you know what's going to happen, and so you uh, go back in time and try to fix it or whatever it is. Now, now I'm guessing for some of us, if we had that information before the first pitch, um, you might have decided, because it was a fun game to watch, that you'd pay a little extra, get the tickets, and go be there in the room. That would be nice. Some of you are like, forget that. I'm going to Vegas, right? (laughs) Because you're, you're thinking about what you can make off of that. And I want us to understand this about Jesus and his miracles and his encounters with people and his knowledge that he was and is 100% God. He was aware of the thoughts of people he was interacting with. He had authority over sin and death. He had the ability to heal. And in his interaction with people, the key is that he did not use that power and authority to advance himself. He did not use that to make himself be exalted on earth. But what he chose to do was to keep everything in front of him for our benefit and to obey the work of God in his life, the work that God was doing through the incarnation of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so when we say that he emptied himself, he never stopped being God. He never abdicated his role, but instead what he chose to do was not to use those for his own personal benefit. He had unlimited power and authority and knowledge. And I'm wondering for each of us, if we had all of that, how would we use it ourselves? I think it's appropriate for us to get this image. Have you guys ever seen like the world wrestling, like the guys jumping off of like tables and so, some of you are like, oh yeah, every, every day, I love that stuff. I, I was never into it as a kid, but I want you to, ima- you know, the giant guys that do that or the, the ladies, they, it's, a, it's, a, it's a thing. I'm not recommending it, don't misunderstand. But can you imagine for a minute, like I have three daughters and imagine when one of them is like four years old and we're wrestling and, 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 and at that point, I just decide to just start busting out some WWE moves on them, you know, off tables and, and I outweigh them by a million and, and can you imagine there'd be blood and carnage, right? Um, but, but what I do or what I did with them 
is that I chose not to give the full strength that I had in order to care for them, right? You understand that. And I want you to catch this with the Lord Jesus Christ, is that he never lacked any power or authority. But what he chose to do for you and I was to allow us to enter into his presence. And according to the text that we're studying together today, he actually chose to humble himself in a way that did not allow him to use those gifts for his own benefit. You know what's fascinating is in scripture, if you have your Bibles, I want you to flip over with me to the book of Matthew uh, chapter four. What's fascinating is we actually get a dialogue between Satan and Jesus where Satan is actually tempting him to use his divine miraculous power in order to benefit himself. And so in the temptation of Christ, when you read it in this context, what is quite fascinating to me is that Satan is going to say to him, hey, why don't, why don't you turn those stones into uh, bread? Because you're hungry. Actually, let's read it together. It's quite interesting. Matthew chapter four, beginning in verse one. Sorry, we don't have it on the slides, but uh, you're just gonna have to follow along with me if you have your Bibles. It says this, then Jesus was led up by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, the great understatement of scripture, Jesus was hungry. No duh, right? 40 days and 40 nights, he's hungry. And the tempter came to him, this is Satan, and he says, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. Um, so, so I use my sanctified imagination and I picture him saying like, yeah, yeah, make a nice Chick-fil-A sandwich there, Jesus, right? Um, because it doesn't say anything about what's in between the bread, right? But he's hungry. I say you can keep the pickles, right? Uh, but, but, but Jesus is, is here and Satan is saying, why don't you use your authority and your power to care for your own needs? And Jesus's response is very helpful for me. He says, but it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So, so Satan then moves on and he's going to try another temptation and says, then the devil took him to the holy city. He set him on the pinnacle of the temple and he wants, he wants now Jesus to draw attention to himself through a spectacle. If you are the son of God, throw yourself down for it is written. Now Satan's quoting scripture, which is quite fascinating. He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you will strike your foot against the stone. And I, I believe it's appropriate to look at this and to say Satan now wants Jesus to use his gifts for his own glory. And Jesus said to him, again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God. By the way, Jesus knows he's divine. You understand this? You shall not put your Lord, your God, the Lord, your God to the test. And again, the devil took him to a very high mountain. He showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to them, all these I will give to you if you will fall down and worship me. By the way, look at what Satan's doing. He's already got it. You know that, right? He, he's already got it. Satan is such a liar. He knows no truth that here he says, well, I can give this all to you. And the truth of the matter is it's already Jesus's. Then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan. Just, I just feel like he's just like, get out of here. Uh, be gone, Satan, for it's written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him and behold, the angels came and were ministering to him. So the, the example that we see is the humility of Christ 
100% God. Um, but we also recognize, even when confronted with his humanity, that he chose not to um, experience or, or manifest the full power and authority that he had on earth. Why? Because he made himself a servant for our sake. Uh, we, we say that Jesus is 100% man and 100% God, and that's very important for us in our understanding of Jesus. His 33 years of life were lived like your and mine has been, that it is filled with temptation. Um, there were opportunities for him to sin, but in his perfect sinless state, he chose not to participate in those things. That is why his sacrifice is the perfect sacrifice that can atone for our lifetime of sins. It's important for us to recognize that he was aware of his humanity as well. And I want you to think about, uh, first of all, we, we um, do a game with me for a second. I want you to think about words that you would use to describe yourself. So when I say that, um, that could be about your personality. It could about, be about your gifting. It could be about how you interact with people. Some people say introvert, extrovert. Some say outgoing. You guys, understand? can you think of a few words? You might even jot some of those words. Here's how I describe myself. Those of us who are going through discovery, I know some of you have had to do that in your discovery group. And um, there's times where you're like, well, how would I describe myself? It's interesting. So, so let me ask you the question. You know how it works to describe yourself. So how would Jesus describe himself? Well, I can tell you how I describe him. I can't imagine what it would have been like to think of him as a teacher, master teacher. In fact, they said about Jesus that he spoke as one with, do you remember, authority? So they said he, he was a powerful teacher. I also think of Jesus as being a miracle maker, a powerful man, that he did incredible things while he was on earth. So maybe that would be how he would describe himself. But I want you to catch that in a description of himself, the Lord Jesus says, come to me when you're weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for my yoke is easy and my burden is light for I am this is what it says in Matthew chapter 11, 28 through 30. And this is how he describes himself. For I am gentle and I am lowly in heart. No, no, no wait a second. That, that's, the, that's the king of kings. That's, that's the Lord of lords. The one who has, is seated in the right hand of God. He is, he is the king of kings. And yet he describes himself in a way that teaches me so much about life, that he chose to be a selfless, sacrificial servant. And his description for I am gentle and lowly in heart, I admit to you, I've taught that passage here many times. And, and actually, that's like one of those sections I'm like kind of skip over that because uh, I don't even know what that, what, well, actually, it means something very important. He understands himself as gentle and lowly in heart. He is humble. I think it's important to recognize that Jesus set aside his position for your benefit, for my benefit. The Greek word emptied does not mean that he gave up his deity in any way through some form of subtraction, but instead it meant that he set aside the prestige or position that he deserved. He abdicated in some ways not his position, but the glory that was associated with his position. Christ gave up the independent exercise of his divine attributes on our behalf. He chose a demotion for your and my promotion. So he humbled himself. 
It's interesting that that term, when we translate it elsewhere, especially in culture of the day, uh, that meant that he got a demotion. He chose a demotion for your and my benefit. And I, and I want to keep that wrestling image in front of us that, that it was not that he lacked the power, but instead what he chose to do was to with, with strain, restrain it on our behalf. I think it's helpful for us. Um, there's a song with the title Humble by Audrey Assad, and um, it's described this way, and I think it's helpful. It says, the cross is the measure of Jesus's humility, the lengths to which he was willing to go in obedience to his heavenly father. Even the lowest position possible was not too low for the humble mind of Christ. Only the greatest humility could willingly accept the lowest place possible. He was not too proud to wear our skin or to bear our sin. I think that's a great phrase. He, he allowed himself to condescend um, in humility in order to minister to us. So, so here's the, the catch. You and I are called to share in his identity because we're clothed in the righteousness of Christ, because we understand positionally that we carry with us the image of God. Uh, we, we recognize that the Lord has provided for us great promises and the anticipation is of great victory over sin in our life. But we also recognize that we need to live in this earth in the way that Jesus did. I find it fascinating that the Apostle Paul, probably one of the greatest missionaries to ever walk the earth, described himself in this way. He said, I'm the least of the apostles in 1 Corinthians 15, 9. He said, I'm the very least of the saints, Ephesians 3, 8. He said, I am the foremost of sinners in 1 Timothy 1.15. That's not, not a passive, manipulative statement. He doesn't want people to come back. No, you're amazing, Paul. We love you. He's actually just comparing himself to the goodness of Christ. Do you understand that? And when we accurately understand that, what happens is it challenges our selfish pride. It, it pushes us away from those things that we might find ourselves saying, I'm too good for that, or I'm too important for that. But instead, what we do, let's pick this up from the larger series. We laugh again because of the fact that we allow ourselves to care more about other people's needs than our own. We are set free from the shackles of constantly trying to reach the internal expectations that we have for happiness and joy and to experience what we want, drive the right car, to have the right house, that that constant longing is something that, hey, newsflash, is unattainable. Do you believe that? You can keep fighting for it, um, but it always falls just a little short. But what we see here is a willing obedience by the Lord to be able to step back and to recognize that there was nothing below him. I, I love the story in, in the book 1776 of uh, during the, the, the um, Revolutionary War that there was a time period where there were troops that were setting up some works outside of Boston. And there was a, a general by the name of Old Putt that um, was, was very significant, um, but he didn't have his regalia on in such a way that the guys knew who he was, riding around on a horse. And there was a, a corporal that was there 
um, that if you don't know in that time period, that would have been the lowest ranking non-commissioned officer um, in that time where they're in. And so he's working and, and old putts on his horse. He looks down at this giant rock that's on the ground and he says, hey, hey, soldier, move that rock over there, um, over to here. And the, and the guy looks up at him and he goes, well, I'm a corporal. Uh, I, I, and the, and the, the undertone of it is, I'm, I'm too important to do it. So, so old butt gets off, this general gets off of his horse, bends down, takes this thing and, and does what he, he needs to do. And then um, like he just moves on because of the fact that he recognized that um, he, was, he was sorry for interrupting this man's day, right? I, I want us to catch the fact that if we interpret things through the lens of what's worthy of us, we misunderstand the work that Jesus did. In fact, in verse 8, it, it, it tells us the next point this morning, when we submit to God's will, it means that we're willing to do things uh, that we may not have chosen to do. It says this in verse 8, it says, and being found in the human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on the cross. That this sacrifice that Jesus was willing to make was one that was the highest sacrifice. The cross, you remember, Jesus' words in Luke twenty-two forty-two, 42, when he said, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. And then he goes on to say, nevertheless, not my will, but yours. Sometimes submitting to God's will means the ultimate sacrifice. And I think that it's important for us to understand that obedience is truly the cost of a happy life. And I think that this is the burning question for each one of us. And that is, when God asks me to do something in his word, when he convicts me of something, when there's a challenge that I see in scripture, is the desire for me, do I believe that he's trying to steal something away from me? Or do I believe what he's actually doing is in my best interest? I think that's, that's really the question. When we submit to God's will, the question for us is, are we submitting to what's best for us? Or are we choosing to, on contrary to that, hold on to and grasp and maintain our own will to be done? I think that it's essential for us to understand that your and my salvation required the incarnation. It's helpful for me to recognize, as Jason, Jason Mayer says, that Jesus had to come to where we were at in order to rescue us. That is a part of the condescension of the Lord Jesus Christ, that he entered into the crucifixion, the perfect sacrifice on behalf of our sins um, in such a way that he recognized our deepest need in the humbling himself. He obeyed in that process. Uh, when we talk about the cross, I don't think we completely understand how horrifying it was. Um, it was well said by Martin Hengel when he said, he did not even regard himself above death. Even the cruelest, most shameful and painful death ever devised. That's the cross or the crucifixion. The cross was deemed an especially appropriate death for rebels and slaves because it was designed not just to kill, but also to shame. Uh, the Roman orator Cicero used to say this about the cross. He said, let the very name of the cross be far away, not only from the body of a Roman citizen, but even from his thoughts, his eyes, in his ears. I think it's important for us to understand when we talk about the condescension of Christ and the work that he did on the cross, that he, by being that perfect sacrifice, he paid the ultimate payment for our sins. I think it's also important to recognize that 
uh, there was an awareness that God was ultimately going to be the restorer. Look at verse 9. This is wonderful. It says, therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You know what this says to me, brothers and sisters? It says that I ought to be someone who leaves the ultimate results up to God. I have to trust that he knows what's going on. He's working out his plan to bring himself glory and honor. And in this quoting of these incredible passages of scripture uh, in the book of Isaiah, what we recognize is that Jesus could have been the only true uh, example of the Messiah. He could only live out the life of the Messiah and, and to be able to receive the promises of God that as they're established here in his establishment of his throne and his reign. And I just celebrate the fact that while self-promotion doesn't work, God promotion works really well. And here's what we get to see in the text. I love the story that Corrie ten Boom tells um, when she um, saw a Christian evangelist, some of you know this name, Sadhu Sandar Singh in Europe. And um, he had completed an evangelistic tour around the world and people asked him, doesn't it puff you up a bit? when you're getting so much honor. People are flocking to places where you're speaking and you're, um, you have these huge crowds that are meeting around the world. And his answer was incredible. He says, no, you know, the donkey that went into Jerusalem, when they, they put garments on the ground in front of him, he was not proud. He knew that it was not done to honor him, but for Jesus who was sitting on his back. When people honor me, I know it's not me, but it's the Lord who did, does the job. Isn't that a great concept? That, that, that I just get to be a messenger. I get to be a part of what God's doing. I think that's a humble and appropriate understanding. I think it's also appropriate to understand striving for people to affirm you or striving to get people to appreciate you or to promote you uh, is a recipe for disappointment. I think it's appropriate when we talk about supernatural happiness or the secret of happiness. I think it flows out of seeking God's glory and not our own. Uh, Andrew Murray puts this powerfully in an extended quote, but I want you to hear it. He says, humility is perfect quietness of heart. It is for me to have no trouble, never to be fretted or vexed or irritated or sore or disappointed. It is to expect nothing to wander at nothing that is done to me, to feel nothing done against me. It is to be at rest when nobody praises me and when I'm blamed or despised. It is to have a blessed home in the Lord where I can go in and shut the door and kneel to my father in secret and be at peace as in a deep sea of calmness when all around is trouble." It is the fruit of the Lord Jesus Christ's redemptive work on Calvary's cross manifested in those of his own who are definitely subject to the Holy Spirit. In other words, when he's for us, who can be against us, right? When we've trusted our care to him into his divine presence and his ability to exalt us in his own timing, uh, then, then we allow ourselves to experience the kind of happiness and joy that I believe that he desires for each one of us. So here, what we see is the example of Christ, the mindset of Christ, the work of Christ. You know, last week I talked about him when the disciples were bickering over 
uh, who, who is going to be the person who's going to wash their feet? Uh, and there's that awkward moment uh, somebody pointed out to me this week, and it's a great reminder that that, that, that that work was so demeaning that we're told culturally that it was inappropriate uh, for a, a, an owner of a slave or a servant to force them to wash someone else's feet. It was that demeaning. And, and so here Jesus takes on the form of the lowest of slaves to serve the disciples. And I think for us, it gives us this incredible example and model of what teaches us how to, what, and teaches us how to live our life, especially in times where we are suffering. So the Apostle Paul pens these words with a loving kindness to a group of people who are going to suffer for the name of Christ. And I think it's appropriate for us to recognize, even in times of great discouragement and dissension, or when people don't understand us or affirm us or recognize the things that we've done, that, that when we descend, praise the Lord, it is God who ultimately lifts us up. That's our, our blessed anticipation of our own resurrection and the Lord's provision for our life. I think Jesus truly knew the secret to a happy life. I think that he modeled for us what it meant for us to condescend. And I think he provides for us an example of an individual who provides an example for us of what it means to live in a humble way and to allow ourselves to entrust ourselves into his care so that he can lift us up in his proper time. I want to close with a quick story, and I want to make this really personal and try to try to share this appropriately. But about two weeks ago, I had this wonderful opportunity to sit down with a family friend of mine, a family member, like a second cousin, and, and he shared with me his story about how he accepted Christ. And I want to share this with you because I believe that there may be some of us in this room, we talk a lot about Jesus here, but that this just may be helpful for us. So he's 25 years old. He was um, uh, working at Wright-Patterson Air Force Base. He was stationed there. Uh, intellectual man, educated man, gifted leader, had just gone through a really painful, difficult divorce. Um, it was in the 70s, and a coworker, a, a friend, invited him to go to a park with a bunch of other people about his age. Um, and you kind of have this image of what they did in the 70s. And uh, he would later say that it was filled with uh, Jesus freaks. And uh, that was his words, not mine. And uh, while he's there, um, there's someone that's there that shares with him a process that he can go through to experience peace with God. And there were a number of things, being honest about the things that are temptations in your life, what it means to seek forgiveness. And, and honestly, in his life at that point, he'd grown up in the church. Um, but, but there were still some things that as an adult, as a mature man, he just had these questions and wrestling things that he was doing with God. And the pastor, George Gardner, who was the founding pastor of the church I attended growing up, I never met him, but he had shared the gospel with this man and when he shared it, one of the things that he challenged him to do is something I'm going to challenge you to do. Um, this is for us, even if we're believers, but it's to sit down and to write a letter to God. Now, you can, you can do it today um, or you can do it tonight. Like my, my friend, he told the story of uh, this challenge to write a letter to God. Um, was one that he came home from this time with those friends. Um, it was like seven o'clock. He was so exhausted. He went to bed, set a, a timer on his alarm uh, to wake up at, at midnight because he wanted to do this thing. And so at midnight, he sits down. And what the challenge was, was to write an honest letter to God about um, the things about God that are difficult for you. 
And so he sits down and he starts to pin this. And some of it is his frustration with the divorce, his circumstances in his life, the things that God didn't do that he expected him to. And, and over time, he starts to look at it. And in his own words, he says, I'm just looking at it. I'm just realizing almost all of the things that I'm writing were not about God disappointing me, but it was actually me running away from God. And at that point, he found himself before the Lord just saying, Lord, please forgive me. And he will say to this day, 50 years later, that that moment in his life changed everything about the next 50 years of his life. He accepted the love of Christ in his life and it changed his future. And we celebrate that. We say amen. So, so the, the thing I want to challenge you to do, um, you can wait till midnight if you want, or you can do this in the middle of the Browns game when they're losing today. Um, but uh, uh, you can, I'm not a prophet, okay? I'm sorry. Uh, but you, you can take this time. But I, I found this exercise. I find it to be very helpful for me because I want to sit before the Lord and I want to agree that there's things maybe you're asking me to do that I don't, I don't want to do, or I don't like this, or this isn't according to my plan and I want to, for some of you, it might be the very thing that helps you to understand that his grace is sufficient for you. His power is made perfect in your weakness. For some others of you in this room, it might be the very thing that allows you to say, all right, Lord, I'm, I'm going to let you be in control of my life. I, I will tell you that decision can change everything. My friend and his note, it was actually, it was an incredible moment because uh, my second cousin, um, I, we were just sitting around talking, you know, at family reunion. I had no idea. And I just mentioned George Gardner, not knowing that he lived in Dayton or any of those things. And he's actually, I, he says, I, I know that man. that's the man who shared the gospel with me. And he had this prepared testimony of the ways that he found peace with God. He's a successful businessman, entrepreneur today. And he is more important about selling people the freedom and forgiveness of Christ than anything else in his life. And I, I just celebrate that. Isn't that incredible? So, so that's our story, right? Jesus taught us what it means for us to descend into greatness. Um, Jesus modeled for us what it means for us to experience the, the hidden secret of a humble life. And I believe when we do that, when we live that, we get to join in both the death, burial, and resurrection, anticipating the blessing of the Lord providing for us our deepest needs for all eternity. Let's, let's pray together. Lord, we love you this morning. We thank you for your great faithfulness. I love what we said um, last week when we think about uh, surveying the wondrous cross, when we consider what it means to turn our eyes upon Jesus, when we gaze at what you did for us, Lord, that it, it, it moves the things of this world uh, away. They become, like the, the, the song says, strangely dim. I think that's what you want us to understand. I think that's what led the Apostle Paul to be able to pen these words in such a mighty and miraculous way through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, that in even the twilight of his life, at the end of a life well lived, that he was willing to press in harder than he had ever had in his life, full sprint towards the finish line because of the fact that he had learned what it meant to be a selfless servant from the Lord Jesus Christ that teaches all of us what it means to choose to lay down our lives for the sake of others. I pray for that boldness. I do pray for those that are here that, I know some of them actually, they're friends of mine that are wrestling with you today. Uh, they're wrestling with it. Are you, are you truly a promise-keeping God? Are you 
when you tell us to or not to do something? Is, it, is your desire to steal from us? Or is it to bless us and to provide for us the deepest, um, most significant needs of our life? I believe the latter. I pray that that would be our story today. I, I pray, Lord, that you would help us to recognize the needs of others in a way that changes the way that we choose to live our life today, impact our life today. We thank you and praise you for this time. I also want to pray right now for our tithes and offerings as they're received. I recognize that your request of us is that we don't give grudgingly or out of necessity, but we do so as a form of worship to you. And so I pray a prayer blessing over our tithes and offerings. Would you multiply them? Would you use them uh, to bring yourself glory and honor? Even those of us in leadership here, we want to be people who steward every, every penny that's invested in your kingdom in a way that cares for it, like it's the widow's might, um, not because it's gifts to us, um, but it's gifts to your kingdom and for your use. Would you use it to bring yourself glory and honor? And we ask humbly, Lord, as we close out our time together today, that you would be exalted at Hope Church in a precious way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.